0: Um. it's time for class
1: civics just doesn't begin and end on election day
0: this is sunday civics the home for the civically engaged with political strategist l joy williams on sirius xm's urban view
1: welcome welcome and good morning welcome to sunday civics classroom i am your host your civic teacher and neighborhood political strategist, L. Joy Williams, and as usual, I'm so glad that you made it to class this morning because we're going to dive into a topic that touches our lives every single day. Yet, it often goes unnoticed. We don't think about it on a daily basis unless something goes wrong, and that's our municipal service. You know, the basic essential services that our local governments provide, whether you're in a county, a township or unincorporated town or any of things like that. I'm talking about the sewer system, the water system, sanitation, fire departments, all of that kind of stuff. Right. Because when we think about. Politics and being civically engaged, we're often thinking about the grand national debates or the groundbreaking policies like access to abortion, access to healthcare, access to affordable housing. We're talking about money for wars and calling for a ceasefire and it- All of these very big, also very important things that are happening in our day-to-day lives that get touched by elected leaders. But the truth is, particularly on a local level, the core of government work, especially, I'm telling you now, especially at the local level, this is why we preach a lot about being involved in local politics, is about managing the essential services efficiently and effectively. So, we're gonna start today with sanitation. And don't worry, we're not gonna go on a whole series. Or maybe I will. (laughs) But sanitation is not just about keeping our streets clean. It's about public health, environmental protection, and the quality of life. Effective waste management prevents the spread of diseases, it reduces pollution, it contributes to the desirability of your city, of your township, or things like that. Nobody wants to move to a dirty city. Right. And even when you are hearing folks disparage urban cities, right, the big urban cities, L.A., New York, all of that. It's just like, oh, it's dirty and it's gritty and it's, you know, things are not being broken windows. And, you know, all of that kind of stuff is used to describe. And those are the basic services, you know, things like water right? Ensuring that we have clean and reliable access to water. Can you drink the water in your town, (laughs) in your city, or do you have to get bottled water? The sewer system. This is one thing that is like out of sight, out of mind, and unless like you're having a problem in your town about human waste and things like that, but this is the backbone of urban sanitation. Preventing the spread of disease and protecting our waterways by having a well-maintained sewer system. It's like the like crown jewel of a well-run city. Now that I think about it, isn't wasn't that like some of the first things like remember when Sim City was introduced and like building a town and everything like that and you know besides the grid of it but the how you laid out the essential services of the city actually contributed to if your city started going haywire or something like that yeah <laughs> now why am I talking about all this because these again are services that should be on our minds when we're walking into the voting booth and you're voting for candidates on a local level and thinking about can they manage things properly? And, you know, in smaller... Entity, smaller cities, smaller entities, the mayor or folks that you hire may be directly managing these essential services. And then in larger towns and cities and things like that, they hire people or appoint agency directors and things like that who do that. And then you also have people that you may hire. There may be a water board, a utility board and things like that. And so how do you evaluate candidates based upon their ability to manage a city's Not only their budget, but the infrastructure and all of these kind of services. And also, think about not just maintaining those systems, but what the future of those systems will look like. I, I remember as a young staffer being highly concerned. This was, you know, Bloomberg was mayor, and it was all of this building going happening and going on in uh, in New York City. And I was like, when's the last time we updated the sewer system? So are we just building these grand skyscape skyscrapers and just plugging into a system that hasn't been upgraded since like 1945? Mm. <laughs> Somebody should like pay attention to that. And then like, what would it cost for us to improve those services and make sure that people are not being, you know, getting sick or things aren't seeping into our water supply or things like that? So those are things to put in your head and to think about as you may be evaluating candidates in your local community, because these are the bread and butter issues of local governance. It's what makes a city livable, What's you know makes your community thrive. And when since we're approaching this election season and for the presidential race and congressional race, we're obviously gonna be thinking about larger national issues. Let's not forget about the local issues. And there's this saying there's a saying that there is no Republican way or Democratic way to pick up the trash. But, you know, there are some management skills and things that you might wanna consider as you may be electing people who will make these decisions. So this is just a little little mini lesson for you this morning, but I'm going to bring later in the show, we're gonna have a conversation with someone. Yes, it's someone from the UK. However, the issue is still important because the issue is about sanitation. And what does modern urban sanitation infrastructure look like? And are we, you know, prepared to make sure that we have upgraded systems to address our sanitation infrastructure? And then... What is our role? How should we participate in this process as well? So we have Colin McFarlane, who is the professor of urban geography at Durham University. He recently did a book called Waste and the City, The Crisis of Sanitation and the Right to City Life. So we're going to talk about that and the concept of a right to city life as well when we come back here on Sunday Civics. Stay tuned. Who is the T-shirt? I will let you know. Welcome back to Sunday Civics. I'm your civics teacher, Eljoy Williams. And as I told you, we're talking about trash. We're talking about waste. We're talking about the unmentionable things that we don't like to discuss. And yes, there is public policy and politics and all of that involved in how we manage our waste, how we recycle, if we recycle, all of that. And there are plenty of people we can talk about this, but I came across a book, uh, which was Waste and the City, the Crisis of Sanitation and the Right to City Life. As I was, you know, in a bookstore and going through things, and I don't know if you ever do this, but, I, you know, go to a bookstore, you see one book, and then you end up Googling something or another topic, and then it leads you to other books or is that just me and every bibliophile that I know? But that's what happened. And then I stumbled across this book and then I discovered, stumbled across the author who is a uh, professor, Colin McFarlane. He is a professor of urban geography at Durham University in the UK. And so interesting to have this conversation with someone from a global perspective. And so welcome to the front of the class for the first time, Professor Colin McFarland. Hi, how are you?
0: hi I'm very well thank you thanks for having me
1: no problem and you know it's it's early here but it's afternoon there so as I told him when he joined on I was like he's had caffeine and probably an afternoon drink by now um, so he's well <laughs> comfortable in having the conversation we're gonna have today but you know I you know it's interesting to ask you this question most of the guests that we have are based here in the US so it'd be interesting to have to to hear an uh response from you on our first question which is what is the story of your first civic action or at least your most memorable one?
0: Sure I think that's a fantastic question and it's not an easy one to answer actually. Where to start? I think I would say probably two moments both of which happened when I was a student at Glasgow University so that's where I did my studies my geography degree And there were two elements. One was around housing issues. So we grew up in a fairly sort of poor neighbourhood in the south of Glasgow, and there was a number of housing issues affecting the area where I lived. You know, bad maintenance of buildings, electricity, infrastructure problems, and so on. And I remember getting involved with some neighbours and residents around how to try to get local government and local MPs to pay more attention to this and so we, we wrote a letter to a local MP who actually surprisingly was very sympathetic mainly I think because we talked about the impact on children and it sort of helped get a little bit more attention to that issue which we felt It wasn't that people weren't aware of it, but it just wasn't quite getting traction locally amongst local government. So that's one thing that I really remember thinking, wow, starting small, working with neighbours, working with your family, making some connections actually can make a bit of a difference. Not necessarily a revolutionary change, but, you know, a a change. And then the second issue was around the same time the, the government in Britain was introducing tuition fees in universities So we went from not paying very much for university tuition to suddenly paying quite a bit for university tuition. I was a student at the time. I was involved in a local newspaper, and we ran a campaign to get the university in Glasgow to support us in arguing against the government's increase in tuition fees. And with mixed success, but at senior level in the university, again, Some people very supportive. So I think what those two stories taught me, both happening at the same time, both actually quite small things, really, was that actually just taking a little bit of initiative and working with those around you, whether it's your residents and your family members or in the university, your fellow students, people on the student newspaper, can make new connections and alliances that can begin to make a difference to things that you care about, so that was quite a reassuring moment for me. And I, and I guess those are the two moments I go back to. There are others, but th- those are the, those are where my mind goes when you ask that question.
1: It's interesting because some of our most recent guests, their you know, first civics action re- were around housing related issue. And if you think about mm. it, right, like that's the first, right, like where you live and the quality of the services that you are receiving whether you, everyone perceives that and even as a child you can perceive that the space where me and my family reside that there are these you know problems or issues right like that is common a common thing besides you know voting going to vote for the first time or things like that it's understanding your space and your surroundings and then noticing, you know, the inequities that exist and whether or not you have language for it, you know, you don't mm-hmm. maybe know the correct political terminology or any of that, but you know something is wrong, <laughs> you know, something is inadequate. And, and you know, that being that first action, whether it's on housing or education, you know, your space in general is of interest, right? Because you're, what you see and what you experience every day becomes your first you know, your first engagement or your first action from that standpoint. Which leads me actually to my first question for, me, for you, because in the book, which I stumbled across, you mentioned this concept of the right to the city while discussing the overall issues of sanitation in general. So could you elaborate a little bit more on how, you know, the modern urban sanitation infrastructure, Sort of connects to that concept of the right to the city and what the right to the city yeah. concept actually is.
0: Sure. Well, first of all, well, thank you for for buying the book and for reading the book. That's that's why we write these things, and it's really always great to to hear that, and always a little bit surprising to think someone sat down and spent time with it. So <laughs> it's it's lovely lo- lovely to hear that. So I think that so the right to the city. Is an idea that goes back in particular to a French philosopher and social theorist named Henri Lefebvre, who was very interested in. He was coming from a kind of critical Marxist position, and he was very interested in the question of how to make cities, not just in France, but anywhere, more equitable. And the right to the city has been picked up by all kinds of people, not just in academic research, but in political action, even by. ...local governments and international organisations of different kinds... Uh, ...so perhaps most obviously or most influentially... ...the Brazilian constitution in 1988... Um, after the fall of the dictatorship, embraced this idea in relation to replanning cities in a more equitable way in Brazil. And and so that was, you know, one way in which it was influential. There are lots of other ways, the World Social Forum and so on. But the the, the idea basically is that it's not really about access to the city. It's the, a, lot, a lot of people sort of think rights to the city means the you know some sort of access to you know public services or or housing so it might be about refugees or homeless groups who don't have access it is partly about that but it's actually a much deeper idea than that the right to the city is really about the participation of all citizens and residents in a city in the making of, of that city so that might be how do we set priorities that matter to all of us right how do we make sure that the planning and policy frameworks in our city really genuinely reflect the the, the what's going on, in, in, you know, what, what our priorities are, what our concerns are, day to day, right? So, in Brazil, for example, when they had the moment of sort of post-democratic, post-dictatorship democracy, what happened there was, you know, a real redistribution of resources you know you had a much wider participation in urban planning processes so you see things like you know money going from predominantly wealthy neighborhoods to often marginalized poorer neighborhoods you know infrastructure education services and so on so it's about trying to build a shared sense of the city a shared vision of the city so it's quite a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful idea it's an incredibly political idea it's a very difficult and challenging idea but it's also one which i think is really vital is pivotal to the urban future you know more and more of us live in cities more than as we keep hearing more than half of the global population lives in cities Mm -hmm. now if you look at Mm -hmm. sanitation more than half of the the urban population so that's more than half of the number of people globally living in cities is living without adequate sanitation right so my argument in the book is well okay access to sanitation is first and foremost the, the political project here, right, which I don't think anybody would deny uh, would want to deny people access to sanitation. But doing that requires something more than simply building the right infrastructures. That's only part of the story. It's about the right to the city. It's about can people who are excluded from sanitation have a say in how cities are planned, built, where the policies are, how the policies are developed, where the budget's going, you know, how is the city spending its money and its resources, what is the role of national government in that. And when you ask that question, you change the way sanitation gets distributed. So the right to the city is really a radical idea that shuffles the pack in relation to the distribution of resources in the city.
1: But you know, it's it's interesting because in it, In reading that theory, right, it also sounds very democratic, right, that we're creating Mm. this society together and therefore everyone should have equal participation and equal distribution of the resources, no matter if it's a wealthy zip code or a moderate or a poor zip code. Everybody should have the right to, you know you know, non-lead pipes and sanitation infrastructure and housing infrastructure, right? There there is that that thought that is very inherent in everyone, right? That we should have these these equitable resources, not only in dollars, but also in infrastructure in space. And particularly in, in the United States, where in our last census, where we see that there is a shift, I think it's six to 7% increase since our last census of people moving to urban centers or, you know, cities, right? Like the population of our cities and urban centers are significantly increasing. We're building on top of cities, we're building, but this inequity of where we're building and who we're building for still exists. And again, it it's just compounding inequities, right? So if we, a place like New York City, right? You know, consistent building that we have had. We had a huge, you know, uh, building boom over the tw- uh, past 20 years or so. And, you know, you can see, visibly see the the building that's happening in more wealthy zip codes is different <laughs> than it is in places that already have infrastructure, outdated infrastructure issues, you know, lack of sanitation and and things of that nature. I I wonder, you know, moving to that sanitation crisis piece Mm. and talking about community participation, all right, like, or, you know, citizen participation. I remember serving on what we call community boards, which is, you know, in community Mm. areas. And, you know, we, you know, it's an advising board to the city, right? Like it doesn't have teeth, <laughs> but it's an, an advising board and saying, you know, this is what this community needs, right? We need additional, you know, supports for infrastructure. We need additional parks. We need green space. We need this, right? It's all of those things to do. And right. there was a particular issue on this community board that the community board had been fighting for since I think I was a child, and it was creating a sanitation garage that was nearby to the community so that, you know, trash pickup. You know, itself was more streamlined and not as delayed, and you know, processed in a way that we wouldn't have to, sh- you know, cross town for our trash and stuff like that to, to be done. They literally had been fighting that, I think, since I was five. And then here I am now on the board and still helping to fight the yeah. <laughs> <for laughs> administration for a sanitation in the garage, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, i I wonder how in those instances when we're talking about infrastructure, right? So the things you don't, mm-hmm. you don't normally see the pipes, the the sanitation process and stuff. You may see the trucks and the people and things like that, but you're not thinking about the infrastructure day to day until there's a problem. How mm-hmm. do you reform or uh, address those issues, particularly from an infrastructure standpoint, on top of cities or including cities that are old and already established. It seems like it's easy to yeah. do where it's like, okay, this this area over here where we're gonna create a city, we're gonna create an urban center, we can start from scratch and build an infrastructure that's more equitable, you know, uses better materials and things of that nature. But in places like New York City, which is a city built on top of a city <laughs> that's old, like how yeah. do you how yeah. how do you build a better infrastructure on established areas.
0: Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it is an incredibly difficult challenge. I mean, there's a couple of things I would, I would just pick up on on what you were saying there. And one is that um, it, it, sanitation. There is a tendency to look at sanitation as an engineering infrastructural problem, and this is this is something that's perfectly understandable, you know, because you have a situation where there's a chronic absence of sanitation, not just by the way in sort of poorer countries, you know, it's all over the world, as you've been indicating, this is a truly global crisis that affects countries as, as different as the United States and the United Kingdom, Nigeria, India, but in very, very different ways, right? And to different extents. So when you, so there's a tendency to look at this and say, right, it's just about getting the infrastructure in place. Now that's a big challenge, but my first response to that would be always to say it isn't just about infrastructure. The thing about sanitation is, it, and this is why it's really about the rights to the city, sanitation spills over into lots of different issues at the same time. And delivering good sanitation is almost always a political decision. So what I mean by that is that if you look at how sanitation is provided across the world to, in cities, it tends to be, as you were indicating, that most of the infrastructure goes to wealthier neighbourhoods and less of it to poorer neighbourhoods. And sometimes that's also about relations of race and ethnicity, as well as income. So we know this story in the United States and indeed here in the United Kingdom, that there are neighbourhoods, often you know lower income neighbourhoods, sometimes black neighbourhoods where well, there is a chronic underinvestment in all kinds of urban issues, and one of them is sanitation, to the point where, you know, maybe those neighbourhoods aren't on the sewer network, or perhaps they have septic tanks which overflow often, and perhaps even flood into local neighbourhoods, into homes which aren't maintained, For the numbers of people using them, they haven't been extended. So, as you were saying, cities grow, more people move to them. When that happens, it is a job of urban planning and national governments to make sure that the infrastructure can cope with the numbers of people using it. And, of course, that doesn't happen. So, here in the United Kingdom, for example... Our sewage infrastructures have been sort of privatised and a lot of the companies that are running these infrastructures haven't invested in extending the sewers network into different areas or, or expanding its capacity. And the result is that our environment agency here in the UK has said that there's not a single river in Britain which is not polluted in one way or another, right, which is not unsafe, To swim in. We have constant debates in Britain about sewage flowing into seas and streams and rivers and so on, right, from our cities, mainly from our cities. And this is simply because, as you were indicating, it's extremely expensive to improve these systems and it takes a lot of work. It's logistically difficult. You know, quite often you have to close roads, you might even have to move housing in some cases to get the infrastructure in place. On the other hand, if you don't get the infrastructure in place, the social and environmental consequences are vast. You know, it can cause huge amounts of environmental damage to have untreated waste, for example, spilling into soils and waterways and people's neighbourhoods. And again, it's usually poorer neighbourhoods which suffer the most from this. So there are a couple of issues there. One is, it's not simply an infrastructure problem. It's a, it's also about what is where the political prioritisation is in relation to who gets what where, Right. Which who in, who in the city, where in the city are resources going to? Money, investment, construction of sewage infrastructures and so on. Where is that going? Who isn't getting those infrastructures? What is the history of that? So that, that's, those are political policy planning decisions, which, which are not simply about infrastructure and engineering. So we, we, we always must see it in, in those terms, I think. And that's a global truism it's not true just of 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 one or two places it seems to be a global story And, and and the second kind of element to that is okay we probably have to spend a lot more money on sanitation than we currently are you know we haven't been doing this for a long time and we're seeing the consequences right across the globe a lot of wealthier countries have been depending on infrastructures, sanitation infrastructures like 100 years old, more than 100 years old. But the population and urban growth has been you know, going on in that period of time, putting huge pressures on these systems which are kind of struggling to cope, right? and With inevitable consequences, as I was saying. So it's partly about how do we see this issue of sanitation, right? It's a bit of a taboo. It's a bit technical. It's a lot of people don't really want to talk about sewage and these kinds of questions. They're not very sort of sexy, fascinating questions. You know, people often get much more animated about issues like housing. Yeah or even other, even other infrastructures like water infrastructure for example water can you know in the us for example there's been you know massive campaigns around water that we know about but sanitation well sometimes in some of the places we see this issue becoming more of a priority but not in a really sustained way so
1: you know like right. yeah. yeah a crisis becomes yeah. it. and to your point you know folks are like well i'm worried about you know, having a place to live. I'm worried about housing issue. I'm worried about access to food. Those issues seem yeah. to take, you know, and I would even think, right, that takes priority. Me having a place to live, yeah. me having food, me having access to clean water takes yeah. precedent over me thinking about sewage and garbage, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, but, but you know, on that issue. I mean, what's, what's really important is that, I mean, I remember doing fieldwork in Mumbai in India, in a a neighborhood in northeast Mumbai, a very poor neighborhood in northeast Mumbai. And, you know, you're looking at families who are in a situation where they often have to choose between, you know, can they afford to buy food, medicine, water, you know, making difficult decisions every single day, often. And what's really striking about the research is that if you don't have decent sanitation in poor neighborhoods, people get sick. You know, the the water gets contaminated, the food supply gets contaminated, the soils that grow agriculture on the edge of cities get contaminated, and people get ill. And so, therefore, malnutrition or, you know, an illness which keeps kids out of schools or keeps people out of work, these are sanitation related problems. So, really, there is a this is why I said sanitation spills over into different issues because there's kind of this sanitation food nexus you know the two of them are are kind of really closely connected water sanitation and food those free areas even are so intimately connected in people's day-to-day health and well-being that it doesn't make a huge amount of sense really to to separate it which again is why it's about the right to the city it's not just about can I have a better toilet it's about am I going to be able to survive and thrive as I move around the city go to school go to work you know, meet my friends, get on the bus, or am I going to be worried about, you know, getting diarrhea and having to be at home for two days or worse, you know, cholera or whatever else, you know?
1: And that really became another writing of yours. You see, I go down the rabbit hole once I discover a new <laughs> author or whatever, but you mm-hmm. wrote about, you know, sort of the intersection of that in terms of disease and um, city mm-hmm. life and particularly about how the pandemic sort of reshaped our conversation about sanitation. And yeah. I remember during the pandemic some of the memes and conversations online where people, you know, would talk about poor sanitation as what led to other, you know, widespread diseases and thinking about, you know, well, we don't have that much better health practices and sanitation practices now that would prevent, I mean, obviously way better than 100, 200, you know, years ago, but, you know, our practices aren't that much more advanced that these systems, which are not, you know, invested in more would. See, sort of, this fast growing again pandemic that could happen from a sanitation perspective as well. So, which is also connected to public health, right? Of like it is imperative for our public health as a society to have these better systems, better sanitation infrastructure and systems. Otherwise, as you mentioned, it can spread in food supply, it can spread in water and create more pandemics.
0: Yeah. And it's it's fascinating because, I mean, you, I remember reading this one study in New York after Hurricane Sandy, and there was a group who were collecting data of microbes living in the subway um, that had been flooded, and even months after water had been removed, there was microbes living there that they think must have sort of originated from from the flooding. That had mixed with the constantly warm, sort of moist conditions of the subway. Plus, you've got you know so many people using the subway every single day. You have this kind of constant mixture of stuff, and there was something like 30 35 percent of the microbes the, the species that they came across were were unknown you know they were and, and some of these will be benign and some of them you're thinking well What's going on there, right? Okay, you just scared um, the crap I'm, out of me <laughs> <laughs> because you
1: know, I mean, all of us who take I mean, the subway I mean, every day are thinking about like walking <laughs> by that wall in the subway that has things growing on it, and you just know you don't touch yeah, it, or you yeah. look up at the ceiling and you're like, that looks alive, but I'm just going to keep going <laughs> to my next <laughs> destination.
0: <laughs> well, I think I think you know a lot of it's probably fairly innocuous, but there are, I mean, there is evidence that urbanization, you know, increases. When there is an ad- inadequate sanitation, it increases the spread of, of diseases, you know, cholera, tuberculosis, trachoma, soil transmitted diseases, all kinds of things, In you know, and with all kinds of devastating consequences. I mean, cholera, for example, is having something of a resurgence at, at the moment, you know, and the World Health Organization is, is extremely worried about it in terms of, like, you know, outbreaks across the cities across the world, often because of inadequate sanitation. And what's really important about it is that it's exacerbated by climate change because one of the things, and we did some research in in, in Tanzania, and and one of the things that you sort of see in places like Dar es Salaam, the capital city, sorry, one of the major cities in, in Tanzania, is that you've got, you know, increased intensity of rainfall because of climate change. And when you have more intense rainfall, you get more flooding. And when you get more flooding, you get more sewage and indeed other wastes circulating neighbourhoods, streams, agricultural areas, you know, and, and, and as cities continue to spread, that mixture of, you know, kind of contaminated water and food supplies and so on that we were talking about a moment ago sort of intensifies. So, so like, there's a, there's a kind of climate change element here which increases the potential You know, so for for, for microbes to cross over from animals to humans, for example, zoonotic infection. uh, I mean, one of the, I mean, COVID-19, for example, there's a lot of debate about the origins of it. But, you know, if it's true that it it originated on the sort of periphery of Wuhan, you know, where, where basically you have kind of like this combination of sprawling cities, agricultural areas, you know, complex ecologies, food practices, all kinds of things mixed together, the, the potential for, for that jump from a- animals to humans is is just going to be higher and then of course we live in a global world where everyone's flying around and travelling around so much and there's so much trade that those diseases once they emerge like COVID-19 can spread quite quickly before you know it, you have outbreaks in New York or London or Milan so it's not to be you know, alarmist about it because I think there is a recognition of this issue and, a, you know, much more growing research and attention to these kind of hotspots where there could be the rapid spread of new pathogens. But it is likely that we'll see more, not not fewer, but more outbreaks, uh, maybe not pandemics, but more outbreaks of, of sort of quite pernicious pathogens um, because of this combination of urbanisation, sanitation being, you know, not in place, climate change and so on. Yeah.
1: You know, in... There are probably numbers of folks who, like my family, we watch a documentary on something and then we're like, okay, we have to change everything we know about, like, about something. <laughs> like Right now, we're not allowed to go on a cruise as a family because my husband and I watched a documentary about like the workers on cruises and it's just like, all right, we're not doing this anymore. And I remember watching a um, news story. I don't know if it was China or Japan or, 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 or was talking about how they transformed their track. next time. And Mm. it was a public policy decision that, you know, we're running out of space. We have all of, you know, these people, we don't have space to put trash. And they were receiving imports from the U.S., from the U.K., from Germany, from other places of trash. Right. Like they're one of the other things that we transport to other countries besides goods back and forth is also trash. A lot of it plastics, um, which is a whole nother nother, uh, conversation and how that seeps into Our soil, but Mm -hmm. there was a concerted effort that there was a a public policy discussion about how do we address this mounting trash, these growing population. We're running out of places to put them, and so we need to create a you know citywide or a countrywide conversation about how we Mm -hmm. reduce. Uh, the production of trash, because we have no place to put it, and that it was this multi-year project to, you know, get the general population to change their behaviors in order to reduce their the amount of trash that's produced. Now, I'm under no pre you know, telling Americans that they need to do something to do. It was like a whole... <laughs> you know, we're a spoiled bunch, right? (laughs) So telling everybody that you hate the way that you do something, I mean, you could just look at it. It's just like, we're going to, you know, produce this vaccine. So nobody dies. And you're like, F you, we're not doing this. Right. So like to ask somebody (laughs) to produce less trash, I can already, you know, perceive that this is going to be, you know, like you might get unelected if, you know, a president or a governor dare to suggest that you produce less Mm -hmm. trash. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine that that is one of the things that we may have to look at is the amount of waste that we produce. Obviously, body waste, we can't, you know, that's just it. You can't, you know, control that. But certainly the amount of trash we produce. The amount of plastics we throw away, the amount, you know, all of those kinds of things play into our sanitation infrastructure as well. So you have, yes, the urbanization of people moving to, you know, concentrated areas, cities and things of that nature that puts wear on a system. But then you also just have human behavior of we're producing more trash than mm-hmm. we have 100, yeah. 200 years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's true and it, so we're not going to stop producing human waste that's right. for sure. Uh, um, uh, so that that is something we have to live with and there is some fascinating debates going on here, you know. So you know, one of the movements that's happened over the past 20 30 years is to try well actually it has a much longer history than that, but you know, it's intensified in the in recent decades is the idea of a more sort of ecological sanitation, right? So how do you, for example, um, build toilets where human waste can be used for composting to grow vegetables, uh, fruit trees, and so on? And there's some great stories of that working really well, uh, predominantly in rural or small town environments. You know, where you have kind of these ecological sanitation so- solutions. It's a, it's a win-win, right? You know, you have somewhere for people to go. You have a toilet for people to go to, rather than using, you know people trying to find open space in fields or under bridges or wherever else. And you have this kind of output in terms of, um, you know, composting, which can grow things. However, those types of approaches, they, they sort of work less well in very, very big, dense cities. You know, when you've got thousands and thousands of people using toilets, trying to treat that amount of waste in that way, it, those ecological sanitation systems often collapse from fall down. So the research is still kind of looking into that. There is some exciting stuff. I mean, I have a colleague who's working on tiger worms, you know, worms which basically eat human waste in septic tanks and do so... Uh, at incredible rates, uh, you know, and, and can actually process an awful lot of waste. waste. And so sort of, there are these kind of promising avenues that people are exploring, but I think that the larger question of how you how you organise human waste, what's what is is that there are some really good examples globally of that. You know, and it's not often about sort of reinventing the wheel or coming up with this kind of you know great new innovation. It's some it's sometimes just simple uh, interventions which make it which go a long way. So, I mean, a great example from Pakistan uh, in, in Karachi is a group called the Orangi Pilot Project. You know, so these are civil society activists who you know worked with the local government and, and local residents to build a, a sort of miniature sewer system. You know, small scale cheap materials using, you know, plastic and narrower pipes. So they're not big sewer networks. And they made a massive difference to public health and local environmental conditions. There are examples of that in, in, in Brazil as well, in, in somewhere like Salvador in Brazil, where something like 2,000 kilometres of small sewer pipes were built in the late 90s and early 2000s, mainly through government investment, you know, affecting hundreds of thousands of people. So there are things that can be done by investing in areas which have been been neglected using lower cost technologies, which can go a really long way. Because as you say, we're not going to produce less waste, so we need to get better at organising it. And, And one last thing I would say on this is that some recent research from colleagues who I know at Leeds University, Barbara Evans and her team, really draws attention to the urgency of this in in a time of climate change. They have shown in their research in Kampala in Uganda that the, the, the treatment of sewage in the city or the lack of treatment of sewage in many cases in that city, it makes up for almost half of the city's greenhouse gases, right? the the kind of way in which waste has been organised and treated, the trucks that are driving it around to to treat it or not treat it, you know, collecting it from streets and toilets and so on. Collectively, when you add all that work together to try to manage the human waste being produced by the city of Kampala, you, you get about half of the greenhouse gases. So, you know, if you treat it better, if you treat it faster, if you use, you know, different materials you can reduce the greenhouse gas impact of your city significantly, potentially, if that research is is correct. So this isn't just about people's health and the environment, as important as that is. This is also about our our urban future at a time where we're facing this increasingly urgent crisis, uh, this, this kind of a metaphysical crisis of climate change. So all of that together means that we, I think, need to have a new urgency, around our attentiveness to to this question you know we can't produce less waste but we can manage it in much more socially environmentally sustainable ways and in fact we must do that for for the, for the planet's good as well as for our, our own yeah. good
1: uh, stay tuned we'll be right back with more on sunday civics how can it- Welcome back to Sunday Civics. I'm Eljoy Williams, and we're talking to Colin McFarland. He is a professor of urban geography at Durham University, and we've been talking about his book. The book is called Waste and the City. Professor McFarland... Your book mentions the the importance of uh, democratizing and socializing the modern city through improved sanitation, which we talked about here. Can you elaborate a little bit on some actionable steps or policies that can help us achieve this vision in a way? Like, what are some of the things just you know, going back to your first civic action, right, that there are people in communities recognizing that we do need to take some steps and some actions to address this issue. What are some suggestions that people should be asking elected leaders for, asking their city to do or to look at, whether it's a big major city like New York City or sort of the smaller um, cities where most people, you know, are living these days in sort of smaller, more, you know, moderate or smaller uh, cities or urban centers who have the ability to address this issue. Keeping in mind that some of it is you know those areas may have privatized the you know the sanitation or the infrastructure and some may, you know still work on a public model
0: yeah well it there are there are lots of things that can be done you know and people people are doing all across the, the world there is some of them i've touched on there are cases i mean it's it, when I was doing the book, it's interesting because you have moments where you feel quite depressed by this situation, right? You know, the, the, the level of impact on people's health and well-being, but also especially on women and girls, which we've not talked a lot about because of inadequate sanitation is is truly colossal, you know, colossal. And we tend to think about the cost of it in terms of the immediate so sort of health impacts, for example, but actually the cost of it is much more than that because it, there's all the hidden costs of people not being able to travel around the city or take up opportunities because they're dealing with illnesses and so on, and and we don't know what the positive economic impact of all that, all, all that unmet possibility, human possibility, we don't know the impact of that. So you can get quite down about it, but the great thing about sanitation is there are there are just lots and lots of examples of really really good. Work that's been done by different people in different places. I mean, people can do all sorts of things. They can absolutely. We should be paying more attention to our sewage than, than we have been. Now, thankfully, in Britain, there is actually a, a bit of a movement to to kind of like to explore how we might improve the, the the kind of like runoff of sewage into rivers and streams and coast coastways and so on. Lots and lots is happening. At the moment, in the UK, there's a lot of activism around this. The celebrities have got involved. There's lots of petitioning going on. The government has debated it in Parliament. There is a recognition that we have to work as, uh, as a society with the private companies who run these uh, um, sewer networks to ensure that they invest in them in the longer longer term. That has changed the debate in Britain. The the, the, the companies that are running the utilities, running the, 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 the sanitation systems, are talking much more about investments and, you know, less about simply uh, putting money into shareholder shareholders. So there is this kind of, you know, slow activism of just keeping at it, you know, writing the letters, trying to draw attention, getting the media to, uh, coverage of sewage outflows. You know, whenever I open up Twitter these days, because I follow a lot of people who work on sanitation, there's often people who filmed on their phone sewage flowing into rivers or coastlines from predominantly from cities on their smartphones and then try to get it out there and these things can go viral. so so that kind of that kind of action I think is, is mediatized action is really important. Supporting communities organizations are doing great work. I mentioned the Orangi pilot project in Karachi earlier. There's all kinds of movements all over the world doing great work on sanitation. There are activists in the US, for example, trying to draw attention to inadequate sanitation in different places. So donating money to people like that, organizations like that in their campaigns, writing letters in support and so on, that, that's really helpful. I've done bits of that myself. Other things that kind of I think people could do is support organizations who are working with people who have sanitation-related medical conditions. So just for example, there are people with things like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, other conditions that require frequent or urgent use of toilets. And one of the great stories here actually is from the US, is a it was a 14-year-old girl called Ali Bain from Illinois who has Crohn's disease and who was um, shopping with her mother when she experienced really intense abdominal pain, had to get to a toilet quickly uh, um, because of her condition. Went to a, uh, uh, into a shopping mall, uh, asked for permission to use a toilet. Was told that the toilet was for staff only, and it wasn't for customers. And then had a very kind of embarrassing accident in in in, 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 in that place. Uh, took this up with local councillors and uh, politicians, and eventually got the law changed in Illinois so that now if someone has a medical condition and they ask to use a toilet in a in a private space, a cafe or a shop or anything like that, even if it's only a staff toilet, they have to let that uh, the person use the facility. So these are small things, small campaigns that are going on that people can find out about and support. In fact, this particular campaign that Ali Bain be- began is still going. It's happening in other parts of the US. It's there's a campaign related to it in New Zealand at the moment. So there are things going on out there which we can support, draw attention to, provide resources for, and even start our own campaigns around sanitation. I bet you anybody listening would be able to tell you something about sanitation in relation to their neighborhood or city where they might think, actually, I could draw a bit more attention to this and it could make a bit of a difference to the environment or to social issues in my neighborhood. So, you know. So I would just encourage people to To help push up the agenda in whatever way they can.
1: Well, Professor Colin, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about this. You know, it is fascinating, one and Two, to bring it to the attention of everyone listening, you know, that may not be on the top of mind or it may be, you know, sanitation related issues and our infrastructure that we need to give voice to to those who represent us, to our government writ large about addressing these issues from a public health standpoint, from a, a basic democracy standpoint. So thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it.
0: No, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And
1: thanks to all of you for making it to class this morning. Remember, class is in session every Sunday right here on Sunday Civics. And we'll be back next week with more conversations and more lessons for you to take action and stay civically engaged. Have a good week.